I actually have been loosely, and I mean very loosely, connected with San Ramon Valley Bible Church pretty much since its beginning. Um, I remember coming to a Christmas program over in the Danville Grange to watch Jeff Murray and Randy Ackle and a few others that, you know, that's, uh, and they were pretty little back then. So, but I've, over the years, haven't necessarily stayed connected. I've lived in the, the East Bay on the other side of the hills pretty much my entire life. Been part of Fairhaven Bible Chapel since I was eight years old. Got saved through the ministry of Camp Koinonia, uh, which I'm still on the board of that camp and involved in seeing kids come to Christ through the ministry of Koinonia. Um, I'm an elder now at Fairhaven Bible Chapel, and I coordinate all the preaching. So uh, I don't do all the preaching, but I'm the one that schedules all the preaching and, and works with the Bible teachers to teach the Word of God. I have a wife, Jennifer. She's at Fairhaven today. I have three adult sons, basically in their 30s now. Um, when I was in the intern program at Fairhaven, discipleship intern training program with Bill and Dean, in 1979, 40 years ago, um, I had no wife, <laughs> and since then I've had a wife and three sons. And uh, my oldest son Tim turns 35 tomorrow, and I'm planning to spend the day with him tomorrow uh, for that. But he lives in Phoenix, so that's where he is gravitated to with his wife and two grandkids. To my two grandkids, so I'm not really going to see my son. I'm going to see my grandkids. I mean, let's face it. <clears throat> My other, my second son has two children as well. He's married. They're still at Fairhaven. He's one of our deacons at Fairhaven. His name's Jeremy. His wife is Caitlin. And they have two children, uh, Micah, age five, and Vivian, age four. And we get to take care of them, my wife and I, two days a week. Um, so we really love that part of being a grandparent. My youngest son, Jeffrey, is a pilot. He flies based out of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. And I'm going to see him in a few weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas as well, because he isn't—he doesn't get any time off around the holidays. He's low man on the totem pole in, in his job right now. Well, <clears throat> so that's a little bit about me. Um, because Thanksgiving occurs late this year, it's actually on November 28th, the retailers are already busy trying to get us to buy stuff for Christmas. You know about that. Uh, if you care, there are 37 days left till Christmas. And the way our society works today, they're all shopping days, okay? You don't have to count no Sundays off, no anything off, even Thanksgiving Day, shopping day. Um, but we're not going to talk about that today. But we are going to start talking about something related to Christmas. I know maybe it's a little early, but the story we're going to talk about today actually occurred nine months before the first Christmas. The announcement by the angel Gabriel to Mary about the virgin birth. Now, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, and what I'd like to suggest is that you leave your Bibles open to Luke 1. That's our main passage for the day. I'll have some cross-references. If you want to jot notes or whatever, you can do that. They'll be on the PowerPoint, so you don't have to be flipping back and forth. So you can see all the different verses um, up on the screen as you, uh, as you do that. So we're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I'm going to start just by reading the passage. It's only about 12, 13 verses. We can read it. as It's a story. It's a passage. It's one, one thing that holds together. And let me just pray before I read the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we come into your presence to read today about the announcement of your birth. 
It's something different. It's something special. And we pray that we'd understand why you went through this to become a little baby and how you were different as a baby and how your birth was different. Pray we'd understand that the word of God would be clear to us all today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reading at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If we can uh, have the first PowerPoint slide has a little outline of what the passage uh, contains. See if we will see that. There it is. Okay. I'm not seeing it on the back screen, so I just thought I'd point that out to my helper in the back. A little hard for me to look sideways. Um, So I just broke this passage into five sections. It's really a story, but for presenting it to teach the word of God, I'm breaking it down a bit. Um, So we have the setting takes two verses. Salutation, the initial greeting by the angel. That takes three verses. And then a very, very packed three verses with seven prophecies in them. Wow. A sincere question from Mary. And then her response, the submissive servant. So the first two verses, verses 26 and 27, set the scene for what's about to happen. They actually are full of names. There's two heavenly beings, uh, two earthly places, and three human beings, all in two verses. Starts out in the sixth month, and since we didn't read from the beginning of Luke, it's okay for you to ask the sixth month since when. Well, it's the sixth month since verse 5, which started out um, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So that's something else we learn about the setting. King Herod, the famous king who ruled just before the turnover from the years B.C. to A.D. He ruled in that last section of years. He is the one in charge at this time. The sixth month refers to Elizabeth, who's a relative of Mary, getting pregnant. She's in her sixth month. And so that's what it means by the sixth month. We're not going to read the whole story before it, but that's the setting that gives us what's happening here. So Elizabeth is now in her sixth month of pregnancy, 
Mary does not know about Elizabeth's pregnancy at this point because the angel's going to tell her about it. Um, so Gabriel is one of the people mentioned. He's the first one mentioned. Gabriel is an angel. He's sent from God, we learn in verse 19. Um, we see that it says that I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you. That was what he told Zacharias in verse 19 in his previous appearance six months earlier. Same angel, though, Gabriel, uses his name. Angels aren't usually named in the Bible. So this is something very special, that this angel is named. And we know who it is, and we know he's the same one that talked to Zacharias um, shortly before that. Um, So um, he spoke to Zacharias earlier in the temple in Jerusalem. So in a different location. He tells us now the location is Nazareth, not a real big city. Nazareth is a small town um, in the northern part of Israel. It's about 60 miles from the Jerusalem temple as the crow flies, but it would have taken a lot further than that to actually travel by road because you have to go around the mountains and down into the plains and, and get into Nazareth that way. Um, so Mary is... Growing up, apparently, in Nazareth, that's certainly where we find her as a young girl, not yet married. Um, And the first thing we learn about Mary is that she is a virgin. Well, in a polite way to say that is she's not yet married. But it's really more specific than that. Uh, It means that she has not had any kind of relationship with a man. She has kept herself pure as a young girl. We don't know how old she is. Many think that she was in her early teens at this time. Uh, we really don't know, so we aren't going to speculate on that. But clearly she's young and she's still living there uh, in her family's home. Uh, so the Bible tells us very clearly that Mary is a virgin, and that means she is not pregnant by any natural means. Okay, we just, we're getting that right out in the beginning of the passage. There's no way that Mary could be pregnant at this time, period. That's it. It just doesn't happen when you're a virgin. Now, Mary was, however, engaged to be married. So, you know, you you all live in the 21st century. You'd kind of go, well, we know what happened, right? I mean, she snuck out one night with Joseph. She's engaged to him. And they just kind of did what 21st century people do. No, that isn't what happened. In that day and age, Mary was, she was kept close to home. She didn't get to go out with Joseph and just hang out. It was always supervised. It was He came into the parents' home and he talked to Mary at, um, with her parents right there. Sounds like a fun date, doesn't it, guys? Um, but that's the kind of culture they lived in. She was engaged to him. It was more serious, more serious than our engagements today. They can be broken off easily. This was a commitment, almost like a contract by Mary's parents that Joseph could marry their daughter. So that's what we have going on here. But the marriage has not yet taken place. And that's said very clearly that she is not yet married. She is still a virgin. Um, <clears throat> now, Joseph is mentioned as well. Who's Joseph? Well, what we learn about him is he's of the, of the descendants of David. David's a king, the greatest king of Israel, a thousand years earlier. He lived about a thousand B.C., and ruled for about 40 years in Israel. And he was called a man after God's own heart. 
David was one of the great men of God in the Old Testament. Many, many chapters written about his life, especially in the books of Samuel. And you see, you see there, and the, many of the Psalms were written by David. Um, so being a descendant of David was kind of a big deal, except that by that time, everybody had kind of forgotten. I mean, a thousand years had gone by. They'd been taken captive, and there was no king anymore in Israel. You know, well, there was this guy, Herod, but he wasn't even a Jew. He was probably an Edomite, they think. So, uh, you know, who is, uh, who is it? What does it matter if you're a descendant of David? Well, but it matters to God. And that's why he tells us that Joseph is a descendant of David. We'll see why. That's going to be important in a few verses. Now, to me, it's interesting that Gabriel comes here to Mary, um, whereas before he came to Zacharias. Elizabeth is Zacharias' wife. She was the one who was going to get pregnant, but he delivered the message to Zacharias. In this case, kind of unusual, he delivers the message directly to Mary. Because Joseph wasn't really going to be involved. Now, we know from the Gospel of Matthew that the angel, or an angel who's not named, went and talked to Joseph as well and pretty much told him the same thing. But that didn't happen before this. This happened first. Mary was told first because she was already pregnant by the time um, the angel appeared to Joseph. So it's interesting because Mary would be the only one who was genetically related to Jesus. Joseph was not. And so he spoke to Mary first. Now, the salutation takes us into um, the angel, and it says, this must have been quite frightening to Mary, by the way. It says, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. It says, and coming in, what does that mean? Um, wow, coming in, uh, what do you do, come right in her house? I mean, it doesn't really describe it. Maybe it was a courtyard, um, you know, maybe it was an open place that, that, that happened. So, wow, coming in. He's, he's coming in and, uh, and greeting her. The Lord is with you. Um, he calls her the favored one. What's that mean? And, and she kind of goes, what is this? In verse 29, she is, says she's both perplexed. Wouldn't you be if an angel appeared suddenly and started talking to you? Called you the favored one. And he knows, you know, he knows uh, some things about you, it seems, we'll find in a minute. Um, and then he wishes you the Lord is with you. Could be a, a, a wish or it could be a statement because the, the verb is missing. So it could be the Lord is with you or the Lord be with you. Either one would be a proper translation. Um, so Mary, this is just the beginning and she's already wondering what's going on. So the angel explains to her in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Okay, isn't that reassuring? I hope so. But still, who is this guy? And what's he saying to me? And, and why me? And, and all these things. Think about all the thoughts that must have been going through Mary's mind. That, Like this just started out. She got up in the morning. It was a regular day. We don't get any indication that she had any warning that this was coming. And I really like this statement, do not be afraid. You know, many Christians are looking forward to hearing <clears throat> when they get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. And I, I am too. But I think before I'm ready to hear that, I'm going to, my mouth's going to be wide open and I think it's going to be really good if somebody says, don't be afraid. You know, there's so much, I mean, it's so much greater than I think we can even imagine. Don't be afraid. And that's what the angel says to Mary. It's a reassuring thing. And it's all through the Bible. We hear this phrase, do not be afraid. Um, 
I'm looking forward to hearing that someday. Um, now, when Mary hears these words, I have found favor with God, you have found favor with God, um, she understood it to mean that God was looking down on her. Unfortunately, it's been translated over the years that she's the Mary full of grace. Well, no, that's not the right idea. It's even been taken so far as to say that Mary could hand out God's grace in a special way. Now, we can all hand out God's grace in some way. That's essentially what spiritual gifts are, right? We're handing out God's grace. The gift is from God. It's not ours. We hand out God's grace and we bless other people. Everybody can do that as a Christian. But some some have taught that Mary was able to dispense God's grace even to the point of giving out salvation. No, she can't do that. And that she can answer prayers, so you should pray to her. No, none of that is in the Bible. Okay, What this says is that she has received God's grace. God has chosen her graciously for this very special privilege that she is about to find out about. She doesn't know about it yet in this verse, but wait a couple of verses. She is the one who is going to say, uh, who's going to get the chance to know firsthand God's Messiah. <clears throat> Let's read the prophecies now, starting in verse 31. This is really the core of what Gabriel is telling her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Well, that's the first two prophecies right there. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And I look for the word will or shall in, in all these verses for the prophecies. Um, so I want us to think today about some of the verses that might have come to Mary's mind. It seems from what we learn about Mary in the rest of Luke 1 that she was a godly girl. I think she knew the scriptures because she seems to reflect them very well in her Magnificat that comes after this passage. But uh, what verses might have come to her mind as Gabriel is telling her these things? Well, how about Isaiah 7.14? Maybe get that one up on the screen. Isaiah 7.14 is, uh, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That, that sounds a whole lot like what The angel just said to her, you will conceive and bear a child and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. Very similar verse. And uh, then the the, the next sets of prophecies. These are prophecies are about Mary herself. You will. Now in verse 32, he changes it to he. All the rest of the prophecies are about this baby who will be born to her. He. So look at that in verse 32. Just the first part. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Isn't that that an interesting title for Jesus? He will be great. Just pause there for a second. He will be great. You know, you can look at his first coming and you kind of wonder, well, yeah, he was he was great in some ways. But let's face it, he was put to death. Not everybody understood. In fact, most people didn't understand what he was here all about. And even today, he's greatly misunderstood. And yet the message is very simple and straightforward that he came to deliver. He will be great. Maybe it hasn't taken place yet fully. Now, he he is great in and of himself. 
That's not a problem. But do people see it? Would Mary have seen it? Well, Zacharias had been told in verse 15 that his son John would be great in the sight of the Lord. So Zachariah, John the Baptist, he was great as well, but in the sight of the Lord. Kind of sounds a bit more limiting. Jesus will be great just in and of himself. And then in verse uh, 76, <clears throat> John the Baptist is called the prophet of the Most High. And here we see uh, in verse 32 that uh he will be called the son of the Most High. Now, which is greater, the prophet of the Most High or the son of the Most High? Clearly, the son has the special place before the father. And so uh, Jesus and John would both serve the Lord in very special roles, but one was greater than the other. Now, Mary would have also been well aware of the prophecy in Micah 5.2. Remember when the wise men came and they asked, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? Oh, and they knew. Bethlehem. Well, Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. Interesting. Somehow she had to get somewhere else by the time the baby was born. God worked that out. Um, but it says in Micah 5.2, As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And then it continues in verse 4, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Notice that he will be great. It's all part of that same prophecy about the Messiah who is to be born. So maybe the Lord brought these verses to mind for Mary as she began to hear these things. The last three prophecies in uh, verses 32 and 33, they seem to be sort of a parallel structure that's saying the same thing a little bit differently, but but in three different ways. Uh, so middle of 32 picks up. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Well, how would Mary not think about uh, her ancestor David at this point. And the famous promise that was given to him in Second Samuel, uh, where the Lord says to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his, the throne of his kingdom. I will establish his kingdom. Then verse, this is, that was verse 12, sorry. This is verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, part of that prophecy is talking about David's son Solomon, but the forever part isn't. That's going to be somebody else that's still yet to come. And then in Psalm 89, we see several times that Jesus, uh, that, that David is promised the throne forever. Verses 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. And then in verses 35 to 37 of the same psalm, Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. 
So Mary hears these things and she think when she hears these things from the angel, she may be thinking about some of these great verses from the Old Testament that she would have learned as a girl. And then we get to the most, probably the most famous one that we read about at Christmas time, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For a child will be born to us. And Mary's thinking, oh, us? Me! The child's going to be born to me. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so we see that Mary had all these prophecies that she could bring to mind. I think the Lord probably brought some of those to mind as she's thinking about this. Because she responds in a believing way. And then in verse 34, she asks this question. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She really doesn't understand. Remember, she's probably a teenager. She knows she can't be pregnant in any normal way. She understands how that works. And so um, she's asking how can this be? Please, please help me understand. And when the angel Gabriel talked to Zacharias earlier in chapter one, he told Zacharias right out that his question was because he didn't believe. Nothing like that is said to Mary. Her question came from sincere belief. Um, and so her question to, Ab- to Gabriel is, is, I really want to believe, but how can I believe? So he goes on to verse 35, and I have to say, as I read this verse, to me, this verse is really very sacred ground. God does not explain exactly how he's going to do this, but he makes clear what the source of the pregnancy is going to be. So let's read verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Wow. You know, there's many myths in history where the gods came down to earth and they had children with women, human women, but they're myths. Many kings would claim that, oh, I'm a son of the gods. But they were born the regular way. They had a human father and a human mother. In fact, many of these myths, the women were forced by the God to have the child. Not so with Mary. Uh, No one took on the form of a human man here. This is the action of the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual. She is not doing any, having anything done to her against her will, as we'll see in verse 38. Um, the, The word used for what it's talked about here, the word overshadow, it's used in a similar concept in Exodus 40, where the cloud overshadows the tent of meeting. And so it's, it's, it's like God's presence is there. And then um, also it's used in Luke 9 about the transfiguration where it says a cloud overshadowed Jesus and his disciples. It's the same idea. This is God, not in a body, 
But God intervening here and, and showing his presence in a, in a non-visible way, this cloud. And here he's going to overshadow that same word. Uh, the power, his power is going to overshadow Mary. He does not explain the details. But if God could create Adam out of dust and Eve out of one of Adam's ribs, then I think he can create a baby in the womb of Mary. No problem. He didn't have to follow the normal process for this baby. Um, This would be a special, unique child who could not be brought into the world like other children. And there's a reason for that we'll see. This required an act of God. And note that all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned in this verse. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the powerful Most High, and we have the Holy Child called the Son of God. Now, did the Son of God come into being as a result of this act? Actually, no, he did not. The Son of God has always existed. In John 16, 28, uh, Jesus tells us, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And so uh, Jesus existed before he was born of Mary. He just did not have a human body. So the Lord prepared the body for him as a result of this pregnancy. Now, the difference was because the way God did this, this was the only body ever born sinless. When that child came out of the womb, there was no sinful nature. I have one. Do you have one? Okay, if you don't, please come and explain to me afterwards. If you've never, you've never sinned, you've never noticed that you have a sinful nature. Um, the Bible says you do. But it says Jesus didn't. And this pregnancy was how God did that. Again, without a full explanation, but it's clear that's what he's doing here. And it says that the holy child who's going to occupy this body, because remember, the body isn't the person. It's what's inside. The body is just the outer expression. We can feel better about that as we get older, right? We can still be on the inside just as close to the Lord and vibrant, even though the body is slowing down, you know? What can I say? Uh, I signed up for Medicare this month. Um, (laughs) But this is in contrast. This birth is in contrast to the birth of King David, the great ancestor, a great man, although... Some of his sins are very openly recorded in the scripture. But he was a great man of God, not because he was sinless, but because he was forgiven. He, he came to God and said, oh, I sinned. I need you. And the Lord forgave him. Now, in Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Well, that doesn't mean that that the way he was conceived was sinful. It's talking about something bigger than that. It's talking about the whole idea that he was born of the human race, that, that his parents were sinners. It wasn't that this specific thing they did was sinful. It's that their whole lives were full of sin. And so he was conceived in sin in that regard. Well, that's what's different about Jesus. No, that sentence isn't true. In sin, my mother conceived me. Not true in Jesus' case. So this is an important reason why the virgin birth is such an important doctrine to the Christian faith. If Jesus had an earthly father, 
whether it was Joseph or some Roman soldier or who knows who, um, then he would have been born a sinner. And that can't be. The Bible clearly teaches that he was born of a virgin. And that's why. It was as a result of a spiritual act, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, without explaining how, so that he did not have a sinful nature like the rest of humanity does. He had not only committed no sins, but he did not have any sin in him. We can look forward to the time when we go to be with him because we will be in his presence and we will be like him. We will no longer be bound by the sin nature. It will be cleansed and dealt with completely. Now its power has been broken. We can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we get to be with him, its presence will be gone. There'll be no more sin among us. That is something we can really look forward to. Now, Gabriel gets some extra credit here. He goes on and speaks to Mary and gives her a little inside information. Verses 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. Now, um, we don't know how they were related. He calls her Mary's relative. We do know that Mary was a descendant of David. And Elizabeth was a descendant of the, of the tribe of Levi because she was a daughter of Aaron. But it's possible that their mothers were related or some other way. It isn't explained. Somehow they're related, but they live in different parts of Israel. Mary in the north, Elizabeth in the south. Elizabeth has been keeping herself secluded with her pregnancy because it was so special. She didn't want anybody to know right away. She's about to have John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ. So Gabriel presents this not because the miracles are equal, but because he's saying God can do this when he wants to. He can do it. And so Elizabeth was advanced in years, probably beyond the normal childbearing age. And yet God did a miracle and she conceived and was going to have a baby. Mary had not even married yet. She didn't have any way to be pregnant. Zacharias and Elizabeth had been trying for years. No baby. She was called barren, a disgrace in that society. God had delivered her from that. And now Mary was going to conceive in a miraculous, also a miraculous way, just a different miraculous way. And this was being pregnant without any father involved. That was an even greater miracle. Point Gabriel was making is that if God could do an, a miracle for Elizabeth, then he could also uh, do something like that for Mary. And I think he drops a not-so-subtle hint here that, why don't you go visit your relative Elizabeth? Because that's what she does in the next passage. Because that way she's going to find support. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary. Oh, not the moment she gets this announcement, because nobody else knows. How about three, six months later? She's showing. It's obvious she's pregnant. The whole town's talking about it. She could even, if they still carried it out, she could have even been uh, threatened with adult, with uh, putting put to death for adultery. Remember Jesus with the woman in John 8, where she's brought before him, and it's all a setup, but uh, she's brought before him, and they want to test him and what he'll do. So Mary didn't know what she's going to face. Think about it. She's not a fully mature woman yet. She's still very young, and so she's probably just not knowing what exactly is going to happen. So she goes to be with Elizabeth for three months to find that support. So Gabriel tells her then, just as his wrapping up conclusion, nothing will be impossible with God. 
nothing, nothing at all. Now, that's not that's not like a genie in a bottle. Okay, we can't just go say, oh, God, I'm going to rub this bottle and give me whatever I want. No, no, no. That means when God wants to, he can do whatever. He can make a baby in a womb of a virgin. He can do that. There's something else that he might want to do in your life. I don't know what it is. A longtime friend of mine that I've known since junior high, he's a believer. He told me yesterday that he just found out their first grandchild, who is still in the womb, is very seriously ill and may have lifelong health issues if he survives the pregnancy. He asked me to pray for the impossible, that this child would overcome this and be born safe and healthy. He's very sincere in wanting that prayer. And I prayed it yesterday. But I don't know what God's going to do. I don't. God's going to answer one way or the other, but it's not up to me to make the call. But I prayed for him. I prayed for that little baby. Nothing is impossible with God. But it's up to him. Last verse for today, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary did not have any warning that this was coming, but she believed that the angel was telling her the truth, that this was God's plan for her. And amazingly, she says, okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. How often do we say, uh, but Lord, can, can we do it a different way? I think my way is better than yours. I don't think Mary would have picked getting pregnant as a teenage girl in that day and era. Okay, I don't think she would pick that. Um, How's she going to tell her parents? What would you think if a teenage girl came to you and said, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin, really? You know, I think there'd be a bit of skepticism. And uh, how would it affect her relationship with Joseph? How is she going to tell him? Wow. But here she willingly submits to all that the angel has told her from the Lord. You know, there are two types of servants mentioned in the Bible. And in our day and age, one is more like an employee, someone who's hired for a wage and paid that wage. You see that quite often in the Bible. But you also see slavery in the Bible, where people are essentially indentured. They are they are stuck there. They have to work for the, the boss. And he is their master. What The word that Mary uses here is bond slave. She's not saying she's an employee of the Lord. She's saying she's a slave of the Lord. She is ready to do whatever the master asks her to do. What an example for us to follow, whether we are teenagers or older. I have an application slide in the packet, if that can be brought up. You know, we can follow Mary's example of allowing the Lord to have his way with our lives even if the road ahead may be challenging for us. You know, it's, it's hard to do. Teenagers, especially, I see a few of you here today. Let God do what he wants with your life. You'll have amazing things happen. Start young. It's a great way to go with the Lord. Well, why does all this matter? My conclusion slide basically says three things. The scriptures clearly teach that Jesus Christ was born to Mary, who was a virgin. The birth was to a virgin. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus did not have a sinful nature like all other human beings do. 
since he was sinless, he could die in our place and pay the penalty for our sins. He's the only one. Has he paid the penalty for your sins? Have you received that? He's paid it. Have you received it? He wants you to come to him and say, I accept that. You are the sinless one. You paid for my sins. I couldn't pay for them. You pay for them, Lord Jesus. If you want him to do that, pray today that he will accept, that he will forgive your sins and you can accept him into your life. Let's close. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the plan that you put forward here, the virgin birth of how you would enter this world as a sinless little baby. Amazing that God could enter the world as a baby, fully man and fully God, both true. We pray that we would understand how important this is and why it matters that Jesus Christ was born to a virgin. Thank you that we have the chance to understand these things from your word. Pray for any here today who are not yet saved, who don't know you, that they might take this opportunity to realize the sinless one died for them. We also pray that each of us would be like Mary and be a submissive servant, willing to do whatever the master asks us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.